0: Welcome back to the Comms Chat. Today, we're speaking with Kian Frith of Centrical Cyber. They're a cyber risk consultancy that aims to help business leaders move beyond the thought that cybersecurity equals IT. They want to gain the support of key stakeholders and manage risk in a holistic and company-wide way. They have a unique gap analysis approach to cyber risk. So today we'll be talking about risk, reputation management and cybersecurity gaps in the Guernsey financial services industry. Welcome Kian. Can you tell me a little bit about that gap analysis process and who it's conducted with?
1: Okay, well, the, the gap analysis is a fairly uh, simple piece of work. Um, in fact, we, we sit down with the Uh, the the business leaders to start off with, because the way that we we read the rules and we believe they should be interpreted is that it's a risk-based approach. And so it's very important we sit down with the the key members on the board to start talking to them about their cyber risks. And then we've developed out a framework tool that is mapped to the GFSC cybersecurity rules with an underpinning NIST um, CSF framework as well. And then we just basically walk through a question set with the business leaders. And then we also ensure that we involve appropriate other stakeholders, whether it's their internal IT or even their external IT service providers. And then at the end of it, we've got um, a a lot of answers and we've got a lot of evidence of where people are at. So we have an attestation against our question set. And then we can identify where they've got gaps. And once we know those gaps, we can then report it back to the board of the client. And then we we highlight up their key risks and then we show them their other risks uh, or the other gaps that they have. And then we can offer up a a way of remediating those gaps to help them implement the rules.
0: So this risk-based approach seems like a different approach to other um, service providers in the cybersecurity space. Why have you um, developed this specific and unique approach?
1: Well, on the basis, like Rudy said earlier, um, that the rules are written from a risk perspective, then it's a non-technical document. Uh, the GFSE wants to ascertain that entities understand their cyber risks and are addressing them. And they're taking appropriate steps to make sure that they mitigate those, those risks as far as possible. And so we take a non-technical approach to our gap analysis And yes, that possibly is different to what others are doing in the industry right this second. But we believe that it's the right approach, understanding the interpretation of the rules. And it also means that we can engage better with board members who probably aren't the most technically advanced, maybe aren't actively involved in IT day to day, but it still enables them to understand about their cyber risk posture. Uh, And we talk to them in a language that they understand.
0: You mentioned frameworks there um, and the NIST framework. Are there any areas that you're seeing within those frameworks that companies are particularly lacking in?
1: It's, it's really, that's a really interesting question because so far uh, the work that we've been doing with clients and the gap analysis that we've then produced a, a report on, uh, you can pretty much guarantee what the key gaps are going to be. Uh, it's going to be in terms of their uh, asset register. So understanding where all their data assets are, where, where their crown jewels of data are, and that they've done appropriate risk assessments on them in accordance with the rules. That's one of the key gaps. Then they're going to have a key gap in terms of management information. And then on the other side is their their plans for dealing with a cybersecurity event. And you can pretty much guarantee that they're going to have those key gaps. So that there are organisations, they may have a, an old BCP in place, that they've got some documents but well, they've not tested them recently. They're not developed up for a, for a cyber world in preparation for a cyber event. Um, they may not have the appropriate comms in place. They may not have all the appropriate links in place and contacts that so actually, if a cybersecurity event were to happen, who would they turn to to be able to deal with things um, quickly and swiftly and efficiently?
0: Well, speed, speed is definitely key in a, in a cyber incident and it certainly pays to be prepared. Um, across the board, and, and obviously from a comms perspective as well, you mentioned, you know, dealing with with events and that response um, situation. I mean, I hear a lot um, from organisations that I deal with that, you know, and from a comms perspective, it's okay. You know, our group HQ has got this covered. Um, you know, our headquarters are in such and such. You know, we're all sorted. Thank you. Is that? an appropriate response given the gfsc's rules
1: i think rudy and i would both agree that that's probably not the most uh, sensible of approaches to be taken and indeed actually the the gfsc is expecting the local licensees to take local responsibility and have clarity on on their position locally and not be wholly reliant on group uh, and to be able to stand on their own two feet and recognize their responsibilities um,
0: so they can't they can't pass the buck to um, group ind- HQ in, in another in another country. Um, I think the other barrier that that I hear often is is that companies um, you know they might think they have it in control in house and 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 very likely they may do so, but I think sometimes they're slightly put off by hiring yet another consultant. Um, to do the work, but it, it is it's quite a sort of specialist area. Why would you suggest uh, an organisation comes to someone like Centrical Cyber for help right now?
1: I suppose one of the key things for us is that you know, we, we are non-technical. We're not the a local IT service provider. We're not looking to sell any cybersecurity software or any technology. So we can re- uh, review things independently. We are risk-based, which is very different to most people out there. And all we're going to do is help people to understand uh, really what their gaps are to help them implement the rules. And that's all, all that we're interested in doing. And so that, that independent, that, that approach um, that's not marking your own homework, maybe like others possibly would do, Um we think is a, a unique offering, but also a sensible one. And also for organisations where they maybe do have a group structure and they want someone to come in and look at, look at that situation independently. Again, we can help them with that rather than putting it out to someone just looking at it from a technical perspective, which isn't the angle that the GFSC is going to be looking at it from. They're not going to be looking at it technically. They want to understand, do you have evidence?
0: So the deadline in August is fast approaching for the GFSC rules to be put into place. You know,
1: what do we expect to happen on that day in August? Well, that's going to be an, in, I mean, an interesting one. I mean, like you say, the, the, the clock is ticking. So I, I think firstly for people and organisations who haven't done anything yet, you're leaving it late um, to be able to perform the gap analysis and then go through the programme of remediation. The timeframes are pretty tight. And then when you hit that 9th of August, is the world going to end? No. Uh, Is there going to be a great big party coming out of the GFSC? No. no, Anything remarkable like that? No. But the position that you can expect yourself to be in is actually when the GFSC does come knocking in the months to come, whether it's through a prison review or through some other regulatory visit, they're going to ask, what evidence do you have, please, to show that you had implemented the rules by the 9th of August? And I expect that the uh, GFSE will be wanting to see the, the appropriate board meeting minutes uh, in the run-up to the 9th of August that show that they've considered the rules and had implemented them.
0: OK, so there's some serious work for probably most organisations in Guernsey to, to, to be cracking on with right now. Um, I mean, looking beyond that August deadline, how do you think the cyber rules might mature or be enforced over time?
1: Well, that's a, that's a really interesting one because Guernsey's obviously taken this, um, what we think is actually a right uh, approach to implement some, some rules because it's about protecting Guernsey PLC. It's about protecting the reputation and the image of the island. So this is a great first step. But there are other offshore jurisdictions that are also implementing uh, cybersecurity rules and there are some that are far more stringent than Guernsey so you can expect that if Guernsey wants to be on a level playing field with other jurisdictions that it's going to have to continue to mature out and enhance its cyber rules so I think that uh, we ought to be prepared for the fact that that there is going to be a maturing of these rules there's going to be uh, greater requirements it's going to become a bit more onerous and um, I think Guernsey entities need to brace themselves for it plus the fact that Uh, if they're part of group structures, then you can expect there's going to be rules coming in from Jersey and the Isle of Man in due course, that maybe the group structure is going to have to start adhering to different sets of rules and frameworks. And so actually having some people on board who understand that and can help um, with the the gap analysis and help with the remediation there will certainly be of help to them.
0: You made a really interesting point there, obviously, about about reputation. And, and, you know, it's a a big... um, big passion of mine is that reputation management piece and I think it's particularly important in financial services as well as you know Guernsey sells itself on being a a trusted reliable safe place to do business Um, cyber breaches you know if they start to happen more frequently and if they're uh, more widely broadcast across the world then the trust in the jurisdiction will start to erode And it seems to me that it's quite a small price to pay to get your house in order and to get ready to respond well, to communicate well. It seems like a very small price to pay to help Guernsey continue to protect its reputation as a trusted and first class provider of um, financial services, particularly as... You know, in a world where the, the playing field is getting leveled more and more, we're talking about, you know, more, more, um, you know, trust, uh, tax equality in the world, etc. Jurisdictions are becoming more and more homogenized. Um, it's, it's incredibly important that Guernsey manages to maintain its reputation. And I'm guessing cyber risk. Is one of the biggest risks that's on you know most boards registers right now, along with climate change, etc. That they're that they're facing. So it does make sense to be investing in protecting re- uh, reputations in in relation to that in in relation to that
1: risk. Definitely, I mean, I, I I would wholeheartedly agree with you there about protecting reputation of the island and also the entity's reputation itself. I mean, what, what, what entity would like to endure a, a, a cyber event with the reputational risk that then goes to it of actually it didn't have proper control over um, personal data, uh, it had a, allowed a breach, it hadn't been training its staff. I mean, that's not going to be good for the reputation of that entity. And by putting in controls, um, you, you can easily mitigate that. Um, and it's, it's too easy, I think, at the moment for... Uh, boards for directors, for Neds even to potentially just put their head in the sand and, and hope that the situation's just going to disappear. And unfortunately, it's not. The rules are here; they are being, um, they are effective. They've been given a transition period. They do need to be implemented by the ninth of August. Um, but at the same time. Rudy and I and, and you know our, our company we appreciate the sheer amount of pressure that entities are under at the moment to meet all the various other regulatory requirements and we know that the the resources are tight and their timeframes are are tight and so another regulatory requirement is hard on them right now and this is where Rudy and I we come in we 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 have a bit of a uh, Uh, a different approach we are risk-based we're kind of fun guys to deal with as well we try to keep it light-hearted we appreciate that cyber security and cyber risk maybe isn't the 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 kind of like uh topic of conversation at dinner parties um but we try to make it a little bit more entertaining and, and a bit more engaging for people as well
0: I think the point that you make is particularly true right now, Kian. I mean, everybody feels very busy, very under pressure. We're trying to recover from the impact of the pandemic. We're still operating in a huge climate of actually instability and insecurity. But having said that, isn't that the exact environment that cyber criminals love to take advantage of? And, you know, I know, I know financial services companies... Um, have been praised for how well they've been to a, able to adapt to sort of hybrid working. Um, and, and they've come through this relatively well. But of course, our working worlds have changed now. Um, and I would have thought that the uh, sort of hybrid uh, um, and agile approaches to work are, um, are you know, field day for, for cyber criminals. And that actually that risk, is only increasing right now. Would
1: you agree with that? Oh, most certainly. Uh, the the cyber criminals are highly sophisticated. You know the the uh, image that we we have and and that media has portrayed over the years of it being you know uh, geeky teenagers with with um, hoodies on it probably couldn't be further from the truth these days. Uh, you're talking about state sponsored. Um, Cyber criminal activity these days, uh, it's on big scale, and uh, you know, they're, they're willing to try and do anything. And so, you know, if there's entities that think it's not going to affect them, actually, at some point or other, you're like to succumb to an attack.
0: It, I think it can, it. it can come to anybody, frankly, it, it really could. can, and you know, it comes and it will come out of nowhere. And I think one of the things that we often like to stress with our clients is that. Actually, you want to be able to have the time and the headspace to get on with solving the problem, not to sit around the boardroom arguing what you're going to put into your first media statement. Or how you're going to communicate with your clients or your different stakeholders or scrabbling around for information um, and debating whether you're going to use your social media channels effectively or who's monitoring your social media channels, etc. You know, all of that, you really don't want to be talking about when a cyber incident hits. You know, you want to have got all of that stuff in the bag, ready to pull out, have it at your fingertips. Uh, know and uh, know that you're completely confident in that so you can get on with the job in hand of um you know getting getting back to business as usual um and minimizing the dis- disruption that your company faces i think that preparing in that way is is just a logical uh, just a logical thing that actually most boards do you understand um, the, the,
1: the value of that? I mean it, I mean that, that's that's a really uh, valid point you're making there and whilst Rudy and I are seeing um, maybe entities not taking on board uh, as much of the sub rules as we think they should be at the moment and, and making the changes. I mean from your perspective, do you think that uh, the licensees are, are taking kind of cyber event comms seriously? do you, do you think that they're, they're wanting to invest into that at the moment?
0: Surprisingly not, actually. I think I think there is some interest and I think there is an understanding that it, it could be helpful. But I agree with the point that you made earlier. I think there's a certain amount of head in sand going on. Um, and I think also it's just another thing on the to-do list that possibly they're, they're just not guessing to. And I think the point to make is that actually it doesn't, you know, as you're saying, it doesn't have to be that onerous. Um, and we like to work with clients in a really collaborative way and have honed our crisis comms uh, workshops over many years uh, to create a really sort of efficient framework that shines a spotlight very very quickly on where the gaps are and helps clients fill those gaps and what I think is particularly useful is that at the end of the process you know clients walk away with a ready made response plan that will save them so much time and stress if an incident does occur and you know the, the the principles that they learn in these exercises that we do with them actually can be applied to any number of crises so you know it's beneficial in terms of cybersecurity but also it's incredibly helpful for just upskilling their team anyway and it doesn't have to be that onerous. But I think that there is this preconcept or misconception that oh, it's not going to happen to us or it's OK, it's in Guernsey. We, and our local media's not a problem. You know, they're not going to find out or, you know, it won't go any further. Um, we can keep it contained. And, and you absolutely, you know, you can never guarantee that. The interplay of social media, traditional media, Um, And the wider media agenda is just so fickle and fast moving that you do need to be prepared for what you think might just be a small local story to hit the industry press or, you know, heaven forbid, the national media. Um, And you do need to know, you know, which way um, the crisis can escalate. I think what's also really important to remember is, is that reputations are about behaviour. And it's not necessarily the cyber incident itself that will damage an organisation's reputation. It's the how it is seen to respond and behave that can actually create a secondary reputational problem. Um, and that is what the public and stakeholders will almost look upon in a more negative light that if a company can't respond well or doesn't behave well in in its response then that can be more damaging than the original cyber incident so it compounds the original issue and I think that's what people forget um, about you know the process of reputation management Um, and it's particularly acute I think in a cyber incident where we don't have all the facts, where we're having to potentially communicate very, very quickly and maybe not understand everything um, that's actually gone on. That makes people feel very, very uncomfortable. And that's where we often get uh, companies having a good old debate about what they're going to do. And frankly, there isn't time for that debate in, in, in this kind of crisis situation.
1: No, def- definitely, definitely, and, and it's interesting. I think that there's uh, reputational risk. So, I mean, if we're coming back to that kind of risk perspective here, um, you mentioned earlier about how cyber risk is pretty high up the agenda for a lot of boards. Uh, and, and you would hope that there was cyber risk and reputational risk would be very, very high up. Actually, from the work that we've done so far, uh, cyber risk maybe isn't actually in the top five of the risk to the, to the business. Um, in in their risk register and it's possibly uh, as a subset of um, financial crime or or, or something else and isn't actually high up on the agenda right this second and that's been a little bit of a surprise for us, bearing in mind that the environment that we are now working within driven uh, in part by what's happened with, with the Global pandemic, with far more working from home and a greater reliance on technology, and you know the, the whole cyber world is now utterly crucial to so many businesses. You'd expect there to be a, a, a greater prevalence of cyber risk on the board agendas right now.
0: I'm quite surprised, but I'm absolutely blown away by that. And I didn't realise that. I, for me, I would have thought it would be top uh, or close to the top of everyone's risk register, particularly in Guernsey, and particularly with financial services, where we're handling hugely sensitive data all of the time. And data is such an important um, currency for organisations nowadays. You know, we've, we've, I've heard talk of, of, you know, data being the new oil, and I, I don't agree with that description, because I think it makes data appear very transactional, and data is actually much more precious than that. But you're talking about highly confidential information often being transacted. Um, And for for cyber risk to not be right at the top of people's agenda is is quite surprising, frankly. Thank you for joining me today on the Comms Chat. If you've missed our previous episodes, you can find them all listed online. We've talked about the power of research, reputation management in the world of financial services, AI and communications, diversity and inclusion in today's communications industry, and life behind and in front of the camera. You can follow our social media channels and make sure you don't miss another episode of the Comms Chat.